Welcome to another episode of uh, CG's podcast, Cutting Up. Uh, I got another wonderful guest uh, here today uh, to just talk about a few things, just get his ideas on things, on how he feels about what's going on in the world we live in today. But don't want to focus in on any particular part of anything, just just uh, getting us what's on his on his heart and what's on his uh, what's his thoughts on what's going on in the world today. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself and uh, welcome to another episode of CG's Cutting Up Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is uh, Drew Mines, and I'm a thirty-two year old, um, and I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, with my wife. We've been here for eight years. Grew up kind of all over the place. Uh, family worked uh, with a, a Christian church, and so we worked a lot. My dad worked with finances, so Kansas and LA, and kind of consider myself a California kid, but I um, also lived in Dallas as well. So, uh, but yeah, I've known Chris here for, for probably seven years or so, and uh, love him, love his family, and grateful to be here. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so, uh, I just, I mean, uh, Want to start off? What? Uh, how do you? What's your uh, feelings on uh, what's going on in the world? As uh, I mean, you're—I know you personally, but as a pastor of a church, uh, uh, what's your thoughts and feelings on what's going on as far as race? I mean, racism and social injustice and COVID, mm-hmm. and just your ideas on what's going on. You don't have to be be biblical on your answer, but you can just tell me on your feelings on mm-hmm. what's what's your thoughts yeah I mean it's been a I was just thinking the other day it's been almost a year anniversary of when everything shut down we were at a wedding a friend of ours um, a mutual friend named Edwin we were at a wedding in St. Louis when the time everything hit with COVID and had to get back it's crazy it's been a year now uh, since that happened but I gotta say it's been a unique year but I'm grateful as a I am a, a white man and I, I'm grateful for the, really what's been a civil rights movement of the past 12 months. Um, and I know it's been difficult and awful. And as I think about the names, think about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, the tragedies that had to occur, um, I think that my heart has been more open and more softened to kind of looking at my own responsibility in a way that I didn't used to, in a way that I didn't used to think about my part in this it kind of was like okay racism's out there and I'm over here but but I do think that this past year has been helpful for me to to look at how I act what I say and as a leader of a church to know that what I say matters how I say it matters uh, listening to my congregation matters um, you know we're, we're blessed with a fairly diverse um, congregation and uh I had chances to be able to have great conversations with people who who've expe- have lived experiences of, of racist trauma. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I guess I, it might be weird to say I'm grateful for it. Um, I know it's been awful, tragic, horrible. And I think about the video of George Floyd and his family, I think about all that's happened. But I do feel like it's helped me, hopefully to be a better man and a, a more responsible human being and something even my wife and I are expecting our first kid in a, a month. And um, 
we're buying children's books and we're buying books that I don't think I would have bought before. You know, books about, um, that are more diverse and, and hopefully to help, help our son um, enter the world better, you know, uh, with more wide open eyes than we did. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I think COVID, man, <laughs> how long's the pod, you know? Like I think uh, COVID's been nuts. I think it's been crazy. I, I'm, you know, we're grateful that we haven't, haven't had it yet, uh, at least we took we know of. Um, but you know, vaccinations are coming. I'm proud of proud of those, and hopefully, we can get those rolled out as soon as possible to the people that really need it. Uh, but I think the thing that stands out to me is I think what, what really feels like another civil rights movement, um, and the importance that we'll look back on 2020 of all that happened this year. So, okay, uh, another question on that part. Uh, with as a leader of a church and stuff, and uh, have you, uh, during the COVID situation and the whole civil rights thing, like you said, uh, do you think it's been uh, difficult to, to, to lead uh, a church in this, uh, uh, in this storm, per se, as far as COVID and uh, civil rights and uh, difficult uh, questions with uh, different members of church or whatever else do you feel? You uh, had struggles in that sense of being a leader of a church, and yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, you know, I'm a pastor, like Chris Chris said, and uh, in the book of James it says, "Not many of you should desire to be leaders, because you'll be judged more harshly." <laughs> and that feels that feels real um, in the past 12 months. So I think it's been difficult, sure. Um, it feels like you have to be an expert on everything. The second like a new thing comes up, um, it feels like you have to be ready to kind of answer. But like I said earlier that I was grateful about conversations about racism. I feel like I'm grateful because it's opened my eyes to things that I never would have looked at before. But in terms of the leadership, I think, you know, everyone feels it. You know, it's not just religious leaders, I think. All secular leaders feel it as well. Um, there is right now, I think, a, mm, I don't know if I say anti-authoritarian trend, but I do think there is a lot of a lot of that going around. Um, and that's sure, yeah, it can be hard. Um, I think it's hard when um, gratitude can be seen as gaslighting. So, for example, if if someone's like, hey, you know, you've been, you've been doing this wrong or the church has been doing this wrong. If I say, you're right, but we are grateful for what they've passed down from previous generations, I could be, I could be seen as, oh, well, you're, you know, you're not really addressing the issue. Like, we need to get rid of all that. We need to change the whole thing. We need to, and so it does feel in a way like even to be grateful toward a leader can feel, it's almost like, it's a weird way of, um, accepting what they're doing when it seems now like everyone is deconstructing everything and like I said some of it's very good you know I, I want to be able to see how whiteness has maybe co-opted itself into leadership or into social structures into our education system I want to see that and I want to see that gone but um yeah it, I guess you ask personally as a leader it can be hard when you don't feel like <laughs> gratitude is is as forthcoming and then you know, you know, you know, Chris is 
Chris knows this, but all leaders right now are probably using Zoom. And so you're not seeing your people, you're not connecting with your people, you're talking to a screen. And uh, so, yeah, I think leadership's been a tough thing this past 12 months. Um, and it can sometimes just feel like March Madness, you know, just survive in advance. <laughs> just try to survive in advance, you know. And of course, my Hokies didn't do that last night, but, you know, that's all right. So, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it's been a hard year. It's been a tough year. Um, grateful for the examination, but um, I think the distance from your people that you feel as a leader, as well as the scrutiny, can be can be difficult um, in all that. But I like to think that that it's not it's not all for naught. You know that that we're all we are going to be better for it. Um, that we're going to come out stronger. There will be a harvest uh, in the coming years of growth because of because of some maybe hard questions we had to answer this year. But yeah, cool, cool. Uh, I don't want this to be just a one-sided uh, conversation. So if you uh, at any time you want to ask me anything about uh, about uh, about the struggles, I mean not per se just just spiritually, just uh, as far as uh, uh, all this uh, chaos is going on with, with yeah. Uh, yeah. different things or struggles with black folks. and, and, and Yeah. And I, I don't want this just to be a politically correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, let's get incorrect, you know. <laughs> well, I would love to hear your perspective, Chris, because you're a guy, I think, who's lived in a, pretty much the Charlottesville community for your whole life. And so you have a unique perspective of, of but I do think we live in Charlottesville and, and it's a unique place and every community has its own sort of flavor. Uh, you might call it systemic racism, you might call it just kind of a palpable prejudice, you might call it whatever you want, but I'd be curious, yeah, as you're over the past 30 years, just your life, what is it, what, what have you experienced and what has it felt like, I guess? Um, and some of these things that have happened this past year, have you, are you going, yes, or are you going, I don't know, but let me take a look. You know, like how has it been? Yeah, um, for me, uh, as far as whole racism thing, I, and since I've been living here, like I said, uh, I haven't really experienced. I mean, I had few instances where I got pulled. I mean, it was I had a, uh, a little fender bender uh, mm-hmm. two or three years ago before the whole COVID thing happened, and mm-hmm. it uh, a white lady she hit me and. I was at the stoplight and she ran into the back of me. So we pulled over and whatever else. And uh, mm-hmm. I called the police officer and uh, said, yeah, we had a little accident. Nobody was hurt in the instance, but she was a white lady. And uh, uh, we pulled over to the parking lot and uh, 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 it was a white police officer. And he he uh, came in and pulled pulled in to the, uh, and then we went straight, straight to her first. Mm. And I, in in feelings that I felt that uh, I mean I could have reacted. I was like, uh, I, I'm the person who called you. You going straight to her first? And, yeah. And, and I was like, I could say something, but I mean, I think it's when the whole uh, Trayvon Martin thing and stuff happened, and, right? And shootings and stuff, and I was like, I could react, but I don't want to escalate the situation because uh, I could get shot and killed or whatever else or they could say whatever and make up a story or whatever but since as a black person you go through those 
instances in your head on should I react or how should I talk to cops or whatever else. And uh, for me, uh, I, I I try to treat people with respect, whether you're white, black, Mexican, whoever else. Mm -hmm. It's it's a respect thing for me. But uh, in the things that I've seen over the years with the violence that happened to black people and and stuff, it's just for me, it's uh, accountability thing that for me yeah. that, that they need to be held accountable. They get a badge and a gun, and they think they're God. They can do it's other ways to de-escalate situations. Mm -hmm. Just like another instance where uh, where the little 11-year-old kid was playing in the park with the gun, the toy gun, and the cop uh, just white guy, whoever called in and said, uh, oh, I'm scared or whatever else. And, right. and uh, the cops came and unloaded nine rounds into this 12-year-old kid. Right. For what reason? <laughs> it it's, it's, it's just blows me away. Yeah. And then the old they get get suspended or whatever else and or get fired or whatever else and then right. get get a job in another county or whatever else and then just right. need to hold people accountable. That's, yeah. that's the whole whole thing for me. And then a few years when here in Charlottesville we had the whole Unite the Right rally and whatever else down because the whole statue thing and whatever yeah. else, Robert E. Lee thing. And uh, I was working at the uh, theater here in town and uh, it's 98% of the phone calls that day is it's safe to come out to watch a movie if this, that, and other thing. And then I, it just made me sick to my stomach. We right. supposed to supposed to be moving forward with the history we did. Was, I understand the whole black history stuff, history, slavery, and whatever else, Ku Klux Klan, and yada, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. understand that history. But then you, it's, it's in it's modern day, and we still going through the same stuff. People dress, dressing up in clans, masks, and right. all this other things, and it, it just blows me away. We're not moving forward. We're we're moving back. Yeah, it's just a continuous circle of un unnecessary evils that's yeah. been, been going on. We could, and then the whole uh, whole uh, Donald Trump thing, and all, I don't want to get into politics, but the whole having him in office and calling. Colin Kaepernick, SOB, and all this other stuff, and mm -hmm. I said, how, how do you still want to still support somebody like that, mm -hmm. and talk about make America great again, how can you how can you support somebody that says evil stuff like that, and you call him a leader, and that's, that just blows me away, you, you uh, it, it, I mean, when he was in office, he, for me, he divided, divided the country, mm -hmm. and to two different groups, one against the other. I mean, it's, like I said, I really want to get on the whole political thing. It's just, it's just for me, we gotta, gotta come together as, 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 as human beings, mm -hmm. treat one another with love and respect. Mm -hmm. That's, for me, that's the one way that I see that can help. Because yeah. we can be throwing, throwing laws and things and throwing the old clock reform and this, that, and other thing, but you see, you're gonna have bad eggs and do things like the George Ford thing. and. Yeah. Other things like that, but uh, we yeah. gotta 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 find a way to unite. Yeah, no, that's great. Unite folks, uh, whether it's not just at the church, but at, uh, through this podcast. For me, this was my outlet when the whole COVID thing happened. I gotta find one some way to to be an outlet to to people on feelings, not just the black the black view on things, but the white white view, the whoever view I'm talking to as a, as a guest, but. 
Yeah. I just want to open people's eyes to for, to, to realize that we're we're humans. We got to treat people with respect and love, whether they did wrong or because no one's perfect in this world, and we got to try to try to build build the human uh, people together. As, yeah. as for me, that's that's the biggest biggest thing. Even before I became a disciple in the church, I, I tried to bring people together because I, I don't see my I don't like putting myself in a particular category. Oh yeah, you're black. Oh you're white, and we gotta stick in the category. Just like I said in a previous uh, previous podcast that uh, on the whole Black History thing, I understand the concept behind it. Or whatever else, but I, I don't want to keep putting myself in a category mm-hmm. of, of oh yeah you got to stick with or you got to push the calls or whatever else. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm pushing the calls of united uh, unity for me yeah. unity, and and that's what we gotta I gotta bring together. So that's just my thoughts on yeah yeah on the situation. Yeah, it's a great point. One of my one of the scriptures that's been coming to mind a lot this past twelve months is when. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul the Apostle goes to Athens and he's preaching. And the Athenians, the Greeks are kind of renowned for being pretty racist. They have like their uh, taxonomy of races. Like they, they literally rank the races. And of course, they're at the top, right? But um, Paul's response when, they, when he preaches to them is, we are all God's offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. And, and I think what you're saying is, is a very powerful idea and one that we're not... I guess that's my question for you, you know, is that how can we really be and live practically as one humanity, as, as, as one people? And I think a lot of the burden does fall on those of the majority of the, the privileged, right? And so I was going to ask you, what is your advice for guys like me? What is your advice if there's young people listening or, or even better, you know, people who are older listening who, are, who have even more authority? Uh, maybe if, you know, if they're... If they're white people listening like what would you say is uh, what would be your advice like what would you want them to know like hey listen this 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 will help you help us you know Any yeah thoughts? I mean that's, that's like I said the million dollar question on <laughs> yeah. which which uh, I mean just like I said uh, for me we gotta gotta get past uh, oh yeah you got a degree or whatever as a white person or whatever else or you feel that you're at this particular point in life yeah, and or you just gotta gotta, and you see these, I mean, black folks or whatever else, uh, middle of ghetto or under, whatever. Right. You just are biased on on different people. We gotta gotta get past the biases. We gotta mm-hmm. gotta gotta stop prejudging folk on how you see they live or what kind of car they drive or whatever else. And you just gotta be open, have an open dialogue. Mm-hmm. Open friendship, just talk to people, just have difficult conversation. Right. Like I'm having now with a white gentleman, uh, just have difficult conversation. Not, not being PC or I can't say this, say this certain thing in front of these people. I gotta act a certain way or, mm-hmm. or be a certain way. We gotta, we gotta cut down these barriers and stop living in a box. Right. Of oh yeah, I'm white. I gotta talk to the, my friends a certain way or whatever else. Just gotta be open. Yeah. For me, just being open and have an open dialogue, open, not be scared to say the wrong thing, and be, uh, 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 I, I feel afraid on saying the wrong thing. You gotta, gotta, gotta say it. Yeah. And and, and take the take the blows, take the blows with it, and, and, and learn from it. Take construct constructive criticism or 
or uh, learn from from your mistakes to, to yeah. grow and to be be together as 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 a humanity as black white Mexican whoever just just not not uh, always putting up walls on uh, mm -hmm. not being being afraid to, to say the wrong thing or, yeah. or or look the wrong way or do the wrong do the wrong thing just just uh, stop living in fear that's for me I mean I, I lived in fear for a while about uh, oh I gotta act like I said act a certain way with a certain group of people even it even I mean just personal for me just even at church sometimes I got to say the right thing in front of a certain group of people because they act a certain way yeah. and, and uh, I can't share my true feelings on how I feel as a brown-skinned person or, or, or that because I don't want to want to want to rub rub wrong feathers or, yeah. or, or not be friends with these certain people we gotta gotta get past that point is even as a church you gotta gotta grow together if we right. don't if we always being PC to one another we can't we're not growing we're, we're, we're just in, in a box yeah and for me I don't like to be in a box yeah and, and that's just my feelings on, on that situation so yeah we gotta gotta come together as, as a group yeah yeah I'm reminded I read something recently by uh, Dr. Gabe Santos and he wrote all real unity has a cost and I think that's what you're saying is we People really want to be unified. There's a cost to it. There's a difficulty to it. You know, because we're all different. <laughs> you know, it's not like we can all just. It's easy when you meet somebody who like thinks the exact same way you do. But that's, there's no cost to that. But when you interact with people, and that's probably even a good thing for our, our countries. How does our country? Our country has to accept. I think that there will be a cost. Like it's, it's going to be hard to be unified. Um, but I think that's hard when people stand their ground and don't want to give. And I think what you're saying is great. You're saying, well, I'm trying to learn how do I be honest, but also be respectful, but also say something so that somebody can hear it. Um, you know, I, it's like someone said this once, I'm stealing this from somebody, but they were kind of like, you know, I could tell my wife every day I love her in Latin and, you know, in like Swahili and in uh, Portuguese. But she would never know what I'm talking about. And I'm going, hey, I'm saying I love you all the time. And she's like, but I don't understand it. So a part of it is I think we're all, we're saying things, but a lot of times we're not hearing. And it's kind of like learning to, to speak that, that language of what people understand. And so just not giving up, I think is a good, is a good point. And I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I've benefited so greatly. I mean, if I, didn't have a community of, of people who really cared about me in the last 12 months to be honest with me and have hard conversations and I wouldn't I think be have done the self-reflection that I've done and I still need to do more um, yeah because our words are so powerful and if you're in a position where you write for a living or you speak for a living or you post on social media in a you know, profound way, and this doesn't even have to be a leader. You know, even with social media, we're all we're all kind of leaders now <laughs> because we have a, we all have a platform. You can go on your Facebook page every day and say something that, to you, sounds wonderful, but if there's not that second of retrospection taken of how's this going to be received, it's amazing. Um, I was listening to a podcast on um, just kind of like assessing our theology and different things um, and it has to do with faith and, and, and how white supremacy may have infiltrated its way into Christian faith or um, sexism and these things but I noticed that in the 
in the podcast, all the examples they gave were from social media. There were no actual examples of like, this is what my friend said to me one-on-one. And I was like, it's amazing too how we, we live in a social media world. Um, and I get that we're in COVID, you know, and that's going to lighten up here prayerfully soon. But I say that, I guess what I'm saying is for me, when I have those real people conversations, they tend to go quite well. And then when I go and turn on my phone and I see the anger and the hate and the, the mean things that are said on all sides, I get discouraged like, oh, we're not, we're not getting anywhere. But it's kind of like, no, you just had a great conversation <laughs> with a friend. Um, that stuff out there, it's not, it's not your responsibility in a way. You can only do what you can do as best you can. Um, and I think I struggle with that. You know, I think I struggle with divorcing those two ideas because I want to change the world. <laughs> and uh, I think we will, but I think that's, you know, it can, I have to learn to be at peace with the things I have responsibility over and not get too stressed out about. Because you're right, you know, you mentioned the president you know, you mentioned the things going on in the news. It's kind of like, every, let's just say hypothetically, everything in Charlottesville was going great, like it was perfect. But then some tragedy happened, like you mentioned the 12-year-old. You read it and you feel like, oh my goodness, we're, we're going nowhere. But that happened in somewhere else in the country or somewhere else in the world. It's kind of like for thousands of years, people only really thought about their village. You know, they're like, okay, 20 people in my village, this is all I can focus on. But now we're constantly aware of everything that happens in the world all the time. And that can be good because it connects us, but it can be hard because we're just constantly grieving. We're just constantly hearing really awful news about horrible things and it just makes you, I mean, no wonder mental health is such a problem right now. Depression is on the rise. And I feel that melancholy too sometimes of like, are we getting anywhere, you know? And you mentioned it earlier, you're like, we're doing this again, <laughs> you know, like, are we getting anywhere? And um, I believe that we are. I believe that change, especially massive change, is slow. Um, and I think each generation does get better. You know, you, you hear that and you talk to, like, you know, people from previous generations. You're kind of like, I think we're doing a little, you know, like, we just, there's a little bit better of a communication, a little yeah. bit better of a sensitivity. And so I do have hope for, for future generations. And I think our country is just... It's a really good example of how evil has consequences. It doesn't just go away. And the evil of slavery, and not just American slavery, all slavery, all racist slavery, and, and that, that perspective, that evil is having, is bearing fruit hundreds of years later. It's in us that it's, I think it's a good reminder that like, what we do matters you know, and it affects people. Um, and, you know, I'm not blaming everything on them. I think I'm a, I'm a product of that in some ways, right? I've benefited from, from that uh, in a hundred different ways, you know, because of, because of being a male and, and being white. But So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think the hope is to, you know, aim small, miss small. It's the little victories... <laughs> the little victories every week and just we, the growth will come and I think we have to rest in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know uh, you were uh, a history teacher and before you were uh, a pastor of a church and uh, 
just uh, get your thoughts on uh, if you were still a history teacher, how would you uh, go about teaching <laughs> teaching your uh, oh, student, students on, on seventh graders seventh graders on this yeah. type of thing? Because I know no being a teacher is kind of structured. You can't go far off because you got to get them prepared for just SOLs and stuff. But how would <laughs> yeah. you how would you bring up these type of current events in your uh, in your class yeah. and talk yeah, I, about them. That's a great question. I and I had a little bit more freedom in my curriculum where I taught because it was a low income area. It was ninety eight percent white. It was mostly trailer park, um, low income folks. Seventy eighty percent of the kids were on free or reduced lunch. And so yeah, getting them to their standards of learning and kind of I guess teaching the test was definitely something that was you know there, but. I feel like we got to actually tell the story and I had a great unit. I had history of the United States since Reconstruction. So I got all the good stuff, right? I got um, World War II, Holocaust, Civil Rights, Cold War. And um, I loved, you asked how would I teach it? I think I would tell it in a story. Try to teach history in a story and put, put the kids in the position of the other side. I used to love doing this. And so in the Holocaust, what you do is like, pretend you grew up as a Jew in Austria. People are coming knocking on your door. They're taking you away. You know, what are you feeling? And of course the kids go, well, that's not fair. <laughs> Why? Just because I'm Jewish? You know, these are mostly white kids, right? From rural Virginia. And you go, well, yeah, it's not fair. Why? There's something powerful, too, about a seventh grader <laughs> because there's a there's an honesty. Um, and sure, sometimes you, you see their parents kind of come out of them. You know, you could, they say things, you're like, you didn't think that up on your own. You heard that somewhere. And then civil rights was great. You know, we took, we showed pictures of, of sit-ins in the 60s and the, the kids were like, it was just really beautiful. They were like, wait, just because they're black, they got treated like this and it's not fair. And you know, it, you kind of go, yeah, it's not fair. Um, it's crazy and you, you really do get a, a really honest sense of how awful it is and I think when you teach adults <laughs> the problem is is that we we have so we're I think in some ways we're hardened to these experiences and we dig in um, but deep down I think we all have that reaction um, and we I think we get really afraid um, one of the things that, that Jesus does quite well is that he, he tells what are called parables right but he often tells it's a story but he often, without you knowing it, puts you in the place of the person he's trying to get you to understand. And I think sometimes when, what white people feel sometimes in these conversations is a fear that we will be called racist. Right? Oh no, if I, if I say the wrong word, I'm gonna get in trouble, I'm gonna get fired, I'm gonna be called a racist, right? So there's a fear. Um, and I think so, that's why I, I can share that because I'm, I'm a white man and I can feel that too. Of like, oh no, what if I forget you know, something important, you know, will it, will it mean that I'm not as uh, compassionate as I want to be? And so I think being able to dissipate fear in people, like you said, have a greater fear of a lack of love than a, a, a fear of yourself. And I think and you teach history because it's a story. It's not like math or science in that way where you can tell a story and get people involved and go and they can feel what it would have been, what it would have felt like to sit at that lunch counter in 1960 
you know, in the 1960s and, and to have coffee thrown on you and to, you can, you can feel the anger, you can be like, and there's something powerful in that, especially at that age. Because when you're 12, I think your, things are hitting you and that you're building on it. Um, so I always felt like if, if God made it clear I shouldn't be a pastor anymore, I felt like teaching was just as, as noble <laughs> as, a, as a profession because you're, you're helping kids build on what they're going to think the rest of their life. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, think, I think the art of storytelling is powerful. I think that's well known right now, you know, weaving a narrative. Um, but to be able to have all sides of the story heard. Um, and that's why I love history. You know, I, I love history because I, I took a class in college as a business major. And I took a class in college and I, I think I wrote a paper on the Cold War and I took the position of the communist, which right is the no-no position. <laughs> and I got an A and I thought, you can do that in history? And my professor said, in history, it's all perspective. You can choose whatever side you want. And I thought, whoa, that was, that was huge for me. And I think people sometimes don't think that way. They think in terms of history is right and wrong. History's, we need to, we need to know it. We need to learn it. And it breaks my heart that less people are studying history. It's not something that like 30% of universities have cut their history and their English programs. And that's scary. We don't know our history. You gotta know it because it actually allows you to build empathy and build compassion for all sides of the story. You gotta teach it right, you know, you teach one side. And that's the problem I think with some of our history teaching. It's because there's not enough time. You're teaching the test. And when you teach the test, you don't give the context. You tell a kid to remember 1865 was the year that the Civil War ended. And you teach a kid that Lincoln freed the slaves, which is technically true. You don't give the context. The kid grows up and, and doesn't know the inner workings of what Lincoln did and how he did it and, and the nuances of it. Now, of course, this is seventh grade. You don't, have, you don't have enough time. And so sometimes you look back and go, man, what's our, what's our teaching system doing? I have a ton of compassion for, the, for our educators. They just don't have enough time and they're not paid nearly enough. They got to get to certain points. <laughs> and uh, so it's a tough one. I would love to revamp, you know, I would love to, to you know, reassess all that. And I haven't taken a good look at that recently in terms of how how it's taught and how different states are doing that, but teaching history to our kids. But um, I love using history in sermons. I love giving people context, helping people know. I think there's some comfort sometimes knowing that this this isn't new. And sometimes you learn about the horrors of the past, you know, the real horrors, and you go, wow, that was horrible. You know, you learn about the, the rape of Nanking in China, and you go, oh my gosh, that was 60 years ago, you know? You learn about these things, and so long, long answer, I think. But I think people need to know that it's a story and that they have a part in the story. Um, and most stories, honestly, any movie you watch, right? I just watched the new Justice League, wonderful, Zack Snyder cut. But most superhero movies, Marvel and the others, um, are good and evil. And so I want people to know that you're in a story, do good. Find out what the good is and do good, because it matters. Okay, all right. Uh, as far as uh, teaching and whatever else, uh, school and stuff, and uh, do you feel that uh, uh, there needs to be anything added to the st structure of academics other than just history, 
reading, writing, and arithmetic, do you think feel there's any other aspects that need to be added or far as, because I mean, when I was growing up going to school and stuff, they, people who had learning disabilities or whatever else was put in a resource class or, yeah. or put over here in a different class and you feel like they were outed as, as not being a part of the group right. as far as far as AP classes or whatever uh, yeah. uh, people uh, and growing up and being feel like you're not not uh, your worth is right. is not on par with other kids and you feel like you're your self esteem and stuff and dealing with that stuff and feel like you're not worth this to being a part of the group and uh, for me yeah. uh being bullied and stuff like that when I was younger and whatever else and do you feel like the structure need to be revamped or mm-hmm. or a class or something I don't know it's just kind of for me just you feel the whole structure need to be revamped as far as yeah. academics or yeah or putting these groups with that group and that group with this group and yeah a structure sort of way but uh, yeah it's a really good question. Um, of course, I'm full support of full inclusion, which I think is fairly common now, but I think it depends on the school district. Full inclusion being anybody with special needs is in the class. And if they need to be taken out of the class to learn something specific, then they can, but mo- they're mostly in the class. Um, I think it's probably less about structure and more about getting, I think, training our teachers. You know, And I love our teachers. But it's easy as a teacher to be tired. It's easy as a teacher not be engaged. But when, you, when you're engaged as a teacher, you can find a kid's strengths. And when the class sizes are smaller, maybe that's, a, maybe that's an answer. When the class sizes are smaller, you need more teachers, though. That's the issue. <laughs> you get more teachers, smaller classes, you get to know kids' names. You get to know their strengths. They might not be good at sports, but they're really good at being a class administrator. They might not be good at math, but they're really good at English. Every kid wants, needs to know what they're good at and to bolster that, to encourage that, and to inspire that. One of the mistakes I made teaching early on was I started to give nicknames to some of the kids, you know, just kind of to get to know them. And my, one of my fellow teachers was like, you can't do that. Because every time you give a kid a nickname, there's another kid who doesn't have one. And I, did, I, said, I didn't think about that. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you, you just can't. You, you, don't wanna, you don't ever want a kid to feel like he's, he's less than. This was a great, great fellow teacher, by the way. He's a wonderful he taught me everything I knew in, in teaching um, but I, I think it is it is smaller classrooms and more teachers that's easy to say you know because not everyone can do that um, and I think now with the increase at least where we live there's an increased demand for a private school and so private schools can kind of do whatever they like uh, and they tend to have smaller class sizes but Teaching the test is a hard thing because you, you need kids to learn. You have to have some kind of metric in history. It doesn't really make sense, but parents need to know, <laughs> my kid have an A or an F, you know? And so that's a hard thing. So yes, a kid might you know, put down who, who was the president during the Civil War and click Abraham Lincoln or whatever. Doesn't mean they actually know anything about him or the, or the war, so. That's a hard one, and I think that's probably why a lot of the classes are getting cut for science, technology, engineering, mechanics. It's just, well, A, they're better for the economy, they're easier to quantify. But I guess I would just wanna 
I think most places are doing this too. I guess one last thing I'll add is encouraging teachers to get a graduate degree before going into the work field, workplace. Sometimes people go into teaching um, and it's kind of a trial by fire. And because, because such some areas are so desperate for teachers, they'll just take you and they'll say, well, you can work and then we'll give you your license after a couple of years, but you're working with, it's a tough situation. Kids are not easy. I don't know if you've met seventh graders. <laughs> they're, like, they're pretty. <laughs> there was one time I, uh, I was teaching my seventh grade class and I, I sort of tripped over my stool. I didn't fall on the ground, but I tripped enough that everyone could see. And for the rest of the week, when people would walk by me in the hall, they would just trip and fall down in front of me and be like, hey, Mr. Mines, whoa. And uh, like, man, these kids, are, these kids are mean, you know, and uh, that's not even the worst of it, really. But so I think preparing teachers as much as possible. Um, and to try it as best we can to reduce class sizes and have full inclusion. That being said, teaching is a noble profession. It's not easy. And I respect anybody out there who is a teacher. I want to give you a hug and a handshake after COVID, you know. Um, but it is a massive responsibility. Uh, so I think that's what I would say. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that's be the end of this uh Cutting up podcast. I uh, just want to thank Drew again for coming out and talking about uh, his thoughts on different situations. And uh, I want to get any. I uh, just want to leave. Uh, if you got any final thoughts, or you want to leave a message to towards the people or whatever, just any final final thing you want to say or your thoughts on anything. Yeah. Or? Yeah. I mean, thanks, Chris, for having me. I, I think. Um, my relationship with Chris is something that I feel like has been really uh, divine intervention. And I think about, you know, Chris, I don't, you can't see us because you're listening, but you know, Chris and I, Chris lived in one community, mostly his whole life, I've moved around a lot. I'm a young white man, he's a young black man. Um, but I've learned so much from Chris and um, I just wanna encourage everybody out there to, uh, continue to invest in friendships and especially with people that are have different backgrounds than you um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing I think um, when people come together despite their differences and to be able to learn from each other it's the only way we'll be able to grow um, and to be able to love even I know this might sound crazy but even when you disagree um, to be able to connect even when you disagree so I just want to say thanks to Chris and uh, Chris is a great friend he's a, a great son a great brother takes care of his family uh one of the best men i know so thanks for having me man no problem uh thanks for coming again to uh, cg's cutting up podcast and i'm working on my next guest but uh i will catch y'all next time but i will have the next part of my uh, episode is called talking smack uh, where i'm gonna ask drew a few more questions about uh some different things like movies but uh that's coming up next on uh, CG's Cutting Up Podcast. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, this is called the Talking Smack uh, portion of my uh, episode. Just talking smack about anything. Just uh, the more comedy side of my uh, podcast from listening to the serious side earlier. But uh, still got Drew here. Just. Uh, bounce some uh, questions off them, just random questions. Uh, you said you uh, watched uh, the DC uh, Justice League uh, movie. Uh, what was your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I love it, man. Yeah, I, I grew up a big DC fan. So naturally, I've been really sad the last 10 years. Just getting really excited for DC movies. And I really like Man of Steel. And uh, when Justice League came out, I, know, I knew it was kind of a hack job of what Snyder had originally shot. Um, I was just so let down by it, you know. So I convinced my wife, I said, hun, can we have a movie night? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, she goes, yeah. And I, and I was like, you know how we watch a lot of movies you like? She was like, yeah. I was like, well, can we watch a movie I like? And she said, sure. Now, I had to save the part about it being four hours long for the very end. So I was like, it's four hours long. So I was actually really proud of her. She watched the whole thing beginning to end with me um, last night. And I was just, I was just like candy for me. I got like, we went out, we got popcorn, we got movie candy, we pretend like we were at the theater. Uh, and of course, I love going to movies. So it was like, I just was so happy, you know, just to be able to watch that. So I thought it was great. I enjoyed it a lot. I love the DC Universe. Sad that there's no Green Lantern, but hopefully, hopefully there's something Green Lantern coming out soon. But I thought it was great. Yeah, for me, uh, uh, ever since, uh, ever since uh, Christian Bale left as Batman, uh, I lost all hope in DC movies. Yeah. DC movies, but I mean, I watched Man of Steel. I thought that was awful. But I mean, just I'm, I'm a Marvel guy, so <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, uh, the the one previous before this, I think, it was Justice League, whatever it was, but it was okay. And then I watched I watched Wonder Woman, and that was that was awful too. But I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm not being biased, but I mean, I mean, like talking said, smack, <laughs> talking smack. So I mean, I was yeah, a Marvel fan, but uh, yeah, Marvel's done it right for sure. And I think, but I, I do think this is a good second chance for for DC because Marvel's kind of chilling right now. There's nothing out there. I mean, they're doing their TV shows, but there's nothing big. So I think I think it would be smart for Justice League to be like, hey, here's another thing. Like, this is their chance to kind of, second chance, to go out there and make some new properties. And in the new Justice League, I think there was a, a phenomenal character, um, Cyborg. Uh, I believe the actor's name is Ray Fisher. And uh, just did a wonderful job. Then I thought, this is a new, a new property. Nobody really knows Cyborg. I mean, I, I guess if you watch Teen Titans, you know, you know Cyborg. But we could do a whole, a whole thing on that with Cyborg, and I think it would be really cool. And it would be, it would be a you know African American actor. And I think that would be a big deal. And I think it, it's a phenom- it's a really interesting story. So there's some hope there. But yeah, I agree that it's like Marvel is kind of like LeBron James, and yeah, DC right now is like Lamelo. You know, it's like all right, I got maybe, maybe, but it's like. Uh, Gotta give me something. Maybe maybe Lamel is actually too generous for Justice League. But anyway, I hear you. Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite like quick reaction Marvel movie? Just like bam, that's my favorite. Uh, let's say uh, Logan. Logan. Uh, Logan. So yeah, good. Yeah. That that was good answer. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a Wolverine guy, so I mean, he died in the movie, but I mean, the story. Uh, but uh, yeah, the whole X Men series, I I like the whole. I don't I don't, re- I don't really like the the newer X Men movies right. with the younger kids. But I I grew to like them. But I mean, for me, uh, I always been a Wolverine guy. He oh that one was so good. Then before that, I was a little bit of an Incredible Hulk guy. I, I like Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even before the newer guy, uh, I've got his uh, Ruffalo. I yeah. believe the guy's playing the Hulk now, but. Before that guy, way back before, 
uh, I mean, I've been a hawk guy for a while, but uh, yeah, yeah. Even though, uh, yeah, it's for me, Marvel uh, been my go-to in uh, Endgame. I mean, that was a long movie. I went to the theaters to go see that, and that was was a long movie. But I mean, yeah. I like. Uh, I don't know if you watched WandaVision yet, or yeah, we watched it. Yeah, I thought that was great. WandaVision. Now the Falcon and uh, Falcon and uh, one came out just a few days ago. I just yeah. just finished watching that this morning, and I I like uh, like where the story's going with that. Yeah, taking on the aspect. I don't want to. Be spoilers. Yeah, I don't it, it, yet. Spoilers, spoilers, anybody. But it it goes off of when if if y'all watched Endgame or when uh, when uh, Cap uh, became old and uh, gave his uh, shield to Falcon. So it goes into that story a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what happens next? So. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a sucker for anything like magic. So like Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, you know, Green Lantern. I love all that stuff. Um, well, Logan's a good answer. I like that. You surprised me with that. I only saw it once, but it was I wanted to see it again. It was so good. Uh, I just well, like I love any story where it's like a guy protecting a kid. You know, he's got that little girl. It's cool. What would you say is your go-to uh, number one out of DC or Marvel movie to go to? So I probably have two that come to mind. Like best movie, just like watch it and just love it. It's Dark Knight. Just love the Dark Knight. I can't not. Like if it's on, it just popped on Netflix recently, and instantly I'm just like, you know, locked in watching. But if I want to laugh, uh, then Guardians of the Galaxy. I just love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's hilarious. Um, I think it's funny. It's light. Uh, I love the and I love the connection too. There's between Pete and his mom. Uh, I I literally always get chills at the end when, when Peter is. Um, he's grabbing the Infinity Stone, and then his, his mom is reaching out to, to touch him, and it's just like it's a beautiful scene. So, well, well done movie. So, those are my two. Yeah, I agree that Christopher Nolan set the bar way too high with like all his Batman's, and then it's like they, they couldn't keep pace. But enough time has passed, maybe they can kind of like Ben Affleck did his thing, but I think they can restart some of those things. But I don't know if we really need like another Batman, Superman. There's so many other properties you can do. Like I mentioned, Cyborg, you know, you can do a Flash movie, and there's a lot of cool, really cool DC heroes, you know, and Marvel's done well with that. Marvel started off with, like, a, with an Iron Man movie, right? I don't think people would have necessarily thought Iron Man, maybe. You probably would have thought Captain America or Thor, Hulk, you know, the big guys, but Marvel did just, they wrote the book on it, so, <laughs> yeah. I'm proud to say I've gotten my wife to like them too. She likes Guardians. That's probably one of her favorites. She really, that's not her favorite is probably Thor Ragnarok. She loves. Oh yeah, that. I love. That's a funny movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah the, the rock guy cracks me up. <laughs> Cord. Yeah, yeah. Little rock paper scissors joke for you. So she loves that one. Yeah. So I'm proud of that. Okay. Uh, another question. Uh, what one movie has brought you to uh, tears in your history of movie watching has oh, brought you to man. tears? It's a really bad answer. <laughs> um, but years ago, you probably remember this, is a Marlon Wayans and Damon Wayans movie. It's called The Sixth Man. And I, I don't even think it's that good of a movie. But I have like, 
I grew up with a brother, really close to my brother. So anything that like talks about brothers, I just it's like an instant tearjerker. And at the end of the sixth man, uh, I think Marlon Wayans has to say goodbye to his brother. Uh, I just I just lose it, man. I've only seen it a couple of times, but I can't watch it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it's weird how certain movies like that, like I don't even know, like I don't think anybody, I've never met anybody else who would say that they've even seen the Sixth Man, let alone that they cried at it. So that one for me, and then at the end of Lord of the Rings, um, the first one, once again, it's like a brotherhood thing when Sam tells Frodo, "I'm not going to leave you. I promise. I made a promise. I'm sticking with you." That's always like, you know, instant teary eyes. So. What about you? There's there's two, two that comes to me. Uh, I would say, uh, I think I forgot what what's the name of Deep Impact or Armageddon, the one with Bruce Willis, mm. and uh, where he's on the asteroid. And, Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon, I believe, where he was on the asteroid and uh, he was saying his goodbyes to his daughter, and uh, I think uh, I think Ben Affleck was mm-hmm. playing the kid that was. Actually, never seen it. Was so, yeah. marrying his uh, daughter, actually his son, uh, daughter, get married, and the uh, the goodbye thing just—I mean, it chokes. I mean, even to the day, it still chokes me up. Weird how that it, works. Huh? It's like, I like it's, it's one of those movies. That that part of the movie just brings me to tears, and then yeah, saying his goodbyes to his daughter and and his his future son. I mean, his son-in-law, but he's going to be dead. But yeah. just saying his goodbyes. And, whole aspect of saving the world and stuff and then that just yeah. brings me brings me to tears and then the other one is uh i'm a fast and furious fan so uh when uh they did the, uh oh. i think it was fast six yeah that was fast six I where, we were all crying <laughs> in that one. i mean I, I went to the movie to see that and uh where they did the whole tr- vin did the whole tribute yeah the, uh, at the end where they were on the beach and then he went drove off and uh yeah, the CGI version of Paul Walker. Uh, his little brother played him. It was in the movie that did the CGI thing, and then they did the whole, whole goodbye and then the music at the end with Wiz, Wiz and uh, Poof doing a little song at the end. I mean, I was bawling. I mean, it yeah. was the whole. I mean, he did a perfect tribute to to Paul, and then the whole vignette at the end where they yeah. talking all the family and he, my brother and stuff like that. It just that whole thing with saying goodbye mm-hmm. to to Paul and stuff. It's that whole thing just that was I was done. Yeah. Even watching I mean, listen to the song on the radio when it comes on it it yeah. chokes me up and you you uh family and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those one of those things they they picked the right song and yeah, it's uh, one of those ones where you sit in the movie theater yeah, for like for a while. Yeah. The credits are done rolling. Yeah. It's like, like, sir, you gotta leave. You know, we're just <laughs> taking it in. I remember we saw that in the summer. My wife and I were working up in Philly, and we saw that in the summer. And yeah, you don't you remember where you saw it? A movie like that. Yeah. But. Yep. Yep. A uh, couple of the last little questions. Uh, where, uh, uh, as far as uh, I know, I asked Landon. Uh, when I, uh, my previous guest, uh, who, uh, who do you think is the, in your, and uh, you, since you've been alive, who you think is the greatest athlete of all time, as far as men, women, boy, girl, football player, basketball, tennis, 
hockey, who you think Man. is the greatest athlete of all time? Man. That is a tough question. I know, I know you're a Dallas, Dallas Cowgirl fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is not uh, Amari Cooper or Dak Prescott. But I think a name keeps coming to mind, but I feel weird in saying it because I, I never watched him because he was so long ago. But the name coming to mind is Jackie Robinson because he, was, he lettered in four sports. And he's just an incredible athlete. He was able to, you know, steal four bases in a game. And just to, to, to be what Jackie was. I didn't, you know, obviously that was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And I'm a Dodgers fan, so. But I feel like, I feel like he had, I just imagined him being just this incredible athlete, you know, who could do anything he wanted. Um, but man, best athlete, I mean, it's, that's a really tough one. I think other two names I'll just throw out. I mean, I can't not say LeBron. Not a huge LeBron fan, but to de- deny that he's a, an athlete is obviously idiotic. He's, he can do whatever he wants. He's incredible. I mean, he ca- probably could have played football, you know, uh, plays basketball, obviously. Probably could have done whatever he wanted. I mean, he's just, to, and he's also like mid-30s. Like, he's like, most guys in their mid-30s, like just their careers fall off. And then the last one, he was the best football player I, I ever watched personally. It was Randy Moss. Randy Moss was just outstanding. I mean, he could just go up and, you know, of course we used to say, you got Moss, right? I mean, he, he could do anything. And I'm not even sure he worked out. But, you know, he was just one of those guys um, that could go up and get you. And he would be, like, triple covered, and the ball would be thrown up, and you're watching as a kid going, like, feeling confident. <laughs> like, he'll get it, you know? Uh, so I think uh, those guys come to mind. What about you? Uh, I just said in the pre one talking to land, uh, my previous guest uh, for me, uh, I said uh, Serena Williams. All right, good so answer. Serena Williams, I mean, her. She's still going. Yeah, she's, I mean, at the tail end of her career, but uh, she has more titles than LeBron, I mean, Michael Jordan. I mean, I grew up as a Michael Jordan fan. I thought he was the greatest of all time. And then uh, watching Serena's career and stuff like that, it just, uh, yeah, her and her sister and just her dominance for so long. And now, I mean, mm-hmm. she she was, at one time she was carrying a baby and she won a title. So Tom yeah. Brady hasn't done that. And <laughs> <laughs> never will. Never will. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for her, I mean, in my eyes, she because women don't get the respect that they need. Yeah. Even, even though they're, I'm not saying this because she's black, but I mean, even as a woman, women don't get the respect in sports as they should. I mean, they, she won almost the most titles in in her in her sport, and she doesn't get the, much of respect as a LeBron or mm-hmm. or Michael Jordan or Chamberlain or. Whoever else, and that's I know. Uh, before Kobe died, uh, I know he was uh, trying to get into the uh, WNBA to try to help them be more elevated yeah. as far as TV viewing or and money aspect of things. Just get the yeah. women women's sports to yeah. more. One of the things I noticed watching uh, when I was uh, at university, I'd go to the women's basketball games, and one of the things I noticed about women's basketball that I hadn't noticed watching it on TV was that they it's a different game and 
that I'm actually like, wow, they, they can't just rely on, like I like me, I go out and play basketball and I'm not very skilled, but I can just try to hustle and go up and grab a rebound and dive. And, but I feel like women can't rely on that. Like they, they have to be pure shooters. Their fundamentals are incredible. And I just remember watching them make shots and you're going, you see it, you see it in person and you kind of appreciate that they're, this is phenomenal, what they're doing. I remember we used to joke in college, like, you're stupid, right? You're stupid, probably like sexist things that you'd be like, okay, I bet I could, I bet that like the five of us playing pickup <laughs> yeah. could beat the women's team. And then you go watch, you're like, mm. I don't think we're scoring a point uh, on these guys. So, but no, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point. And uh, I was thinking, notice how, if we ask this question anywhere else in the world, they're probably naming like all soccer players. No, yeah. we, we didn't name any soccer players, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know the sports so well, but. Yeah, see, now I'm one of those stubborn guys, since we're talking smack. I'm one of those stubborn guys who will say that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player of all time. But I think LeBron's a better athlete, in the sense that I think LeBron could play the five, play the four, play the three. He could play any position. He could run a team from any position. And he could he could basically do anything. I think MJ mostly needed to thrive at a two, three. You know, he could run the one, maybe. But, like, if I'm going to win a championship, I want MJ. But I think... Anyway, and maybe it's just splitting hairs because LeBron is right there. Um, but I still, I guess, I still, if there's a last second shot, I, st I still want MJ to take it, you know. Um, but it feels stupid to say because LeBron's <laughs> just done it everywhere. He's going to do it again, I'm sure. Like, we're all doubting him right now. And he'll be like, he'll just turn it on in the playoffs and be amazing. Um, so I want to give him his due, you know, because he really is. I think we're going to look back on LeBron and be like, dang, that was, uh, that was special. So. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I don't know. I'm going to give LeBron his credit, but uh, as, uh, as uh, I've watched uh, first take uh, sometimes uh, in Stephen A. Smith, uh, one of my favorite guys to watch on uh, ESPN. And uh, just like he said, uh, this, this league for me is uh, – like he said, it's softer than cottonail tissue. It's uh, it's it's a different different uh, different generation of uh, kids and shooters and stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's not for when I grew up. It's not more like uh, the Pistons. I mean, it was a little bit before my time. But you get and Shaq, right. Shaq and Kobe. Bad boy. Shaq and Kobe back when uh, they could foul people, hand check people, and. And touch, like Shaq like to love to say, touch people up when they come to the lane. But yeah. nowadays, there's no more big men in the in the in the paint. I mean, last really the mall Shaq. <laughs> last, I mean, for me, the last big man I guess per se would be uh, Tim Duncan. But like they called him Mr. Fundamental. He, yeah. He backed people down into the paint and shoot his uh, fadeaway jumpers and stuff. But uh, yeah, the game has changed. It's more of a three-point shooting shooting league now and they depend even big men shooting three-point shots I, I, that just turns my stomach it, yeah it but uh for me uh going back to the whole greatest uh athlete i know his career was another athlete i liked uh, i didn't get to watch i had to watch him on youtube because it was before my time too but bo jackson he was a two oh. two two sport athlete and uh, yeah he i he held the record for the fastest 40-yard dash time. Did you see the ESPN 30 for 30 yeah. on him? Yeah. That's, that's like the story when he, he's hitting a, in a batting cage, 
and he takes one swing, hits the ball so hard it breaks the cage. Yeah. And the scouts are like, we've seen enough. I mean, that guy was, <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely one of those guys. If science was where it is now and they could have it could have helped his hip, I think we, he's a LeBron type. Yeah. Because. I don't know. Yeah, apparently he didn't even. He was just like this Hercules of a guy. Yeah, that's like, a good answer too. Yeah, he was one of the once in a different generation type guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, another question, uh, like we was talking about Michael and LeBron. Uh, who would you? Who would you? Uh, in a game one on one, prime, prime MJ, and uh, prime LeBron. Who would you think game to to twenty one? Who you think would win? Michael Jordan. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's that hard. I mean, yeah, I, I think that MJ could get a shot anywhere he wanted, and LeBron is a superb defender. We're talking like maybe they're both in their prime. I think it comes down to offense. I think LeBron is going to make shots and can probably bully MJ, probably back him down to you know probably get the shots. But I don't know. I just trust. MJ had something crazy in the playoffs. Like he just shot well and shot like forty-five percent or something in the playoffs. He he could just get his shot, no matter who was on him. And he had some great guys defend him. I know people like to talk about, oh, the Jazz weren't that good. Or like, Jazz were a great team. There were a lot of people's careers who were ruined because they played, <laughs> you know, against the Bulls. You know, but the Knicks and the Jazz and the Pistons and yeah. Call me a fool, but I still think MJ could get his shot. And he was just driven too. If he got down 4-0, he would just go to the sideline and just he would just turn it on. You know, he had that in. But that's my answer. I don't know. All right, another one. Uh, who would you think would win in their primes? Uh, the uh, same basketball sort of thing. Uh, Michael or uh, Kobe? <laughs> Kobe has a special place in my heart. <laughs> Since you're a Lakers fan. Yeah, yeah I, I, Kobe is. He's. You know, I miss him. Um, I still, I still take MJ, but I, I do. That would be phenomenal to watch because they're similar. Because Kobe modeled his game after MJ, so I think that would be phenomenal to watch. But um, yeah, I'm imagining it. How cool that would be. But I still think, give me, give me Mike. Okay. All right. All right. Going to football. Uh, game on the line uh, uh, for the Super Bowl. Uh, who would you pick? Uh, to uh, win the game for you, uh, Tony Romo or Tom Brady? <laughs> Once again, you, you, you my heart, my heart. Um, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be Brady, right? But who do I want? <laughs> I want Romo. That's what I want? I miss the Romo days, man. I'm at Dak's great, but. Romo got robbed. I still remember where I was when he threw that touchdown pass to Des Bryant, which would have sent us to the Super Bowl. And those gosh darn refs turned it, turned it over. He said it wasn't a catch. The ball never hit the ground. It's an incredible call. Rob Tony. He, he should have a ring. Should have gone that year and won. But my brain says Tom, but give me Tony. Give me Romo. <laughs> yes, I'm feeling more confident about it as I talk. Give me Tony in, in Super Bowl. I want him over Brady. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> who you think? Uh, uh, last question, I guess. Uh, who you think uh, is the most underrated player, whether in football or uh, basketball? Or 
who you think is the most underrated player you feel in your in your era of your since you've been alive, the most underrated player. Underrated since I've been alive. Yeah. Good question. Um, two guys come to mind. First guy I think is Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul doesn't really get the respect he deserves. He's taken a lot of teams. I mean, he took that Oklahoma City team last year with nothing. I took them against, like, the Clippers. Was it Clippers that they played? They played somebody. who's was like, what? How are you doing this? And then he's taking Houston. He's going to take Phoenix this year. I think he gets some flack because he hasn't won a, a ring. But I think Chris Paul is underrated. Um, if I could choose. Kyle Lowry came to mind. I feel like Kyle Lowry didn't get respect. But he's a, just a great player. He's played great for a long time. Um, and football... That's a good answer. Underrated. I feel like most quarterbacks are overrated, so I can't say a quarterback. I don't know. Guy that comes to mind, maybe he's not. Maybe he's rated just right. But Larry Fitzgerald, I think. Uh, I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's. I keep thinking of guys who like don't aren't flashy. Like they don't they don't make demands. They don't make trade demands. They don't. Want, they just play in one place, and they're great guys, and they're 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 loyal. So I don't know if Larry Fitzgerald is really appreciated. He's another guy who's like 36, still playing. Um, yeah, those, I'll stick with those guys. I feel good about those answers. Pretty good answers. Pretty good answers. You got thoughts on that? Underrated? Oh no, I, I just it was just a random question. I, I mean, I might have to get some more time on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a tough one. Right? Yeah, so that's a tough question. All right. Uh, I had to think about that. I'll get back to you on the next episode. Yeah, next but, uh, episode. But uh, last one, I guess, uh, for uh, this part of the talking smack uh, part of the episode. Uh, who you uh, in uh, the dunk contest uh, in the NBA? Uh, who do you uh, since you've been alive? Who you think would uh, is the best uh, dunker? Oh, there's only one answer in the NBA. Begins with Vince and ends with Carter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, he like changed our lives when he stuck his elbow in the rim and in that beautiful Toronto Raptors jersey, the old ones with the, with the Raptor on it. Those are cool jerseys. So he stands out to me. Carter was awesome. Tracy McGrady was awesome. Um, I feel like in the last 10 years, I haven't been wowed. I remember when Blake jumped over the car, but you know. Um, yeah, Carter and McGrady. Weren't they related to or something? Like yeah, they're cousins. They're cousins or something. Yeah, they didn't realize that till they. I think they played on the Raptors and they. Oh really? Yeah. Those two guys, but Carter was his. Yeah, his elbow in the rim, hand in the rim. He could just sky. Yeah, for me, I just I go. Say the same thing. Vince Carter. Once I once I saw that, I was. Just like, just like uh, Kenny, Kenny Smith said in the, during the dunk contest, it is all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's for me uh, watching that. I, even watching YouTube things still to, to today, it's it just blows me away. Yeah, it's just the the height and leaping abilities. I mean, yeah. I mean, I before I had the knee problems, I could dunk, uh, and uh, when I was younger, but. Uh, since the knee problem playing football, I, I have my dunking days over, but I can never get get that height 
of uh, even uh, wearing Jordans, I still couldn't get that height uh, yeah. dunking the basketball. But uh, yeah, for me, Vince goes down as as the greatest dunker of all time. I mean, I know uh, Zach Levine and uh, Gordon. They that was a great dunk contest mm-hmm. in most recent history. Yeah, for me, it was where he did the under the butt dunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a pretty good dunk, and then yeah. I know. Uh, I think two or three years before that, where Gerald Green he blew up the candle, the cupcake on. Oh yeah. Blew up the candle. That was a pretty good dunk. Mm-hmm. Didn't 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 like. Uh, I mean, Blake Griffin doing the dunk contest. That was all right, but uh, yeah, it uh, didn't went whole Nate Robinson fiasco where he, <laughs> he he the only only guy who won it three times in a row. Three three dunk contests. Yeah, won three dunk contests. I mean, since he was a little guy, so. Yeah. Taking taking Spud Webbs. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's for me the dunk dunk contest has been watered down. For me I think they should they should uh bring back uh, at least one one guy from the past era to like Vince to <laughs> to a right end dunk. He still get up. Yeah. yeah. Right end dunk uh guy to jump in once to bring some pizzazz to the dunk mm-hmm. contest. Mm-hmm. Because I I mean I think he still because I Watch some. I think it was when he was still playing for the Hawks. He was doing an interview where he had his suit on and stuff, and they was doing practice or whatever. And they threw in the ball, and they said, uh, "I want you." The, one of the guys he was uh, talking to in the interview said, "Man, I want you to do a 360 dunk." So he they threw in the ball, and he in his suit, and he wow. did a 360, jammed it. And he said, "Yeah." Then they asked him, what the guys, well, I want you to do it between between your legs. And, no, I'm going to rip my, rip my pants <laughs> trying to do that. But, yeah, he won a once-in-a-lifetime player, yeah. dunker. Yeah. And he, he was. I, I mean, like I say, he one of the underrated players uh, for me just uh, as far as, uh, I mean, he had a great career. He played 22 years in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, he. He did. And for me, he go first battle Hall of Famer for me. Uh, I don't uh, watch. I know they did uh, the NFL Hall of Fame thing. I don't think uh, for me, and I understand whole uh, T.O. thing perspective on things. On mm-hmm. his uh, Calvin Johnson, he in this year's Hall of Fame, he was first ballot. Uh, for me, in my opinion, I don't think he should be first ballot Hall of Fame. I mean, he had a short career, but I mean. And I mean, he was a great player, Megatron. He was sort of like Randy yeah, Moss almost. Awesome. Randy Moss almost, but uh, I don't think he should be first ballot. But like, <laughs> like T.O. said, they put put almost anybody in the Hall of Fame. But I mean, for me, uh, yeah, it's all of them great players. They made it to the professionals, but uh, mm-hmm. he had a short career. But yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know. But uh, the Hall of Fame, they, I guess they got their criteria. They got to run by, but yeah. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things where I feel like, yeah, every year it's kind of like you're surprised by some guys that get in, you know, but it's hard, too, because how much do you weigh championships? How much do you weigh stats? Yeah. Like Robert Ory, right? Like guys like that got like six rings or whatever, but then like average four points a game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what do you, or guys who play great but never got the ring. Yeah. Like if Chris Paul never gets the ring, is he Hall of Fame guy? Kyle Lowry, a Hall of Fame guy. I know Lowry has won, but um, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, thank you again, Drew, for coming out to yeah. doing the 
other portion of my uh, the talk of smack portion but uh thank you for being my guest today and uh just uh look forward to my next guest and uh working on that but uh this is uh talking uh talking smack and see y'all next episode on talking smack thank you for joining us <laughs>